0: she wore a filmy white gown girdled at the waist with stiff gold braid a coif covered her hair she saw angelo and headed over eyes downcast expression carefully blank my lord ask me tell you his guests arrive her words were hard to understand clipped and strained with the still unfamiliar language she forced her tongue around he asks you join them sir Angelo sheathed his sword in the scabbard that hung from the belt with a forceful stab that made the girl start. Without acknowledging her, he walked towards the palazzo, the girl flinching from him as he passed. At twenty-eight, Angelo was the eldest son of Venerio Vittori, and heir to the family business, established prior to the Third Crusade by his great-grandfather, Vittorio. Angelo was a regular sight in Accra's slave market, where he sold off any surplus his father had acquired— before helping to ship the bulk back to Venice. When the business was in its heyday, at a time when the Venetians controlled trade around the Black Sea, the Vetturi family had dominated the slave markets on the borders of the Mongol Empire, supplying the prettiest girls to western nobles in Outremer and Venice, and the strongest boys to the Mamluk army in Egypt. But then Genoa, the second of the three great Italian merchant states, wrested control of the Black Sea trade routes— now the Vetturis were one of only a few Venetian families who still trafficked in humans, and they had to rely on trade coming north from the Red Sea for their supply. The girls Angelo's father kept for the household were always the best of the crop, aged between eleven and sixteen. They were mostly petite Mongolians with oval eyes and glossy black hair, and Caucasians whose youthful faces already showed signs of the handsome, strong-boned lines characteristic of their race. Venerio's family had grown rapidly over the past ten years, and Angelo resented every darkly pretty sibling that was presented to the household, none of whom looked anything like his plump mother. Though the girls who bore his father's accidental offspring remained slaves, their own children were brought up as free citizens, baptized and educated. Angelo could understand his father being unable to resist the temptations of such young, exotic flesh. He himself had sampled it and found it pleasing but he couldn't comprehend how Venerio could raise the products of these low women in the same way he did his own. Things, Angelo had long ago decided, would change when he ran the business. If that was he still had a business to inherit, the way the last year had gone it was looking increasingly uncertain. But he refused to consider that possibility fully. And if all went according to plan today, he wouldn't have to. Angelo walked down a wide passage decorated with blue and white mosaics. As he pushed open a set of dark wood doors, four men looked up from where they were seated around a long octagonal table, positioned centrally in a spacious, airy reception room. Angelo regarded the men as he approached the table. There was the armourer, Renaud de Tour, a balding man of middle years who had clad King Louis IX and his elite French knights during both of the sovereign's ill-fated crusades. Beside Renaud, Hands, clasped tightly on the table, was Michael Pisani, a dark, slender Pisan, specialising in the exportation of Damascene swords, some of the strongest blades in the known world, who also supplied nobles of the West for war. He was much feared by his competitors, whom he had been known to force out of deals using mercenaries to intimidate his rivals into capitulating, leaving him to secure the contracts. The third man, sunburned and sandy-haired, was Conrad von Bremen, whose home city was affiliated to the Hanseatic League, the powerful confederation of German cities that ruled the Baltic Sea. Conrad's business, favoured by a lucrative contract with the Teutonic Knights, was the breeding and shipping of war horses. The Germans' flat blue eyes and lazy smile concealed a potentially more sinister nature, for it was rumoured he had ordered the murders of two of his own brothers to seize control of the family business— although this was perhaps malicious gossip put about by his competitors to discredit him. No one knew for sure. The bulky sweating man, dressed up in a heavy brocaded coat despite his obvious warmth, was Guido Serranzo, an affluent Genoese shipbuilder. Angelo knew them all, most merchants in Acra did, for they were four of the most successful Western traders in the Holy Land, his father excluded. As Angelo sat, a fifth man came into view from an adjacent room, followed by three slave girls in white, who trailed him like the wispy tail of a comet. They carried silver trays on which were jugs of rose-coloured wine, goblets and pewter dishes laden with black grapes.